Welcome to the Astrophys Podcasts. First of all, we would like to acknowledge Australia's first astronomers, the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people, the traditional owners and custodians of the land we are on. This episode is produced on Yorta Yorta, Pangarang and Kaerna country. My name is Brendan O'Brien and today's Thursday, the 15th of December. We always include a community service announcement asking you to wash your hands regularly, wear a mask if you can't socially distance effectively and isolate as much as possible, and as soon as you can, to protect yourself and your community, get that COVID-19 vaccination as we work our way through this global crisis. We also ask you to influence your local politicians with the message that we need to change our energy policies to move to renewable energy to mitigate climate change. Each month we bring you two fabulous episodes. On the first of each month, you'll get to hear Dr. Ian Astroblog Musgrave bring you his monthly sky guide, an astro treat for naked eye observers, telescopers and astrophotographers. And he always includes a tangent of astronomical wonder. In the middle of each month, we'll give you an interview with a noted astrophysicist, astronomer, astrophotographer, space scientist, or particle physicist. But right now, we are going to cross down to Sydney, Australia, to get the latest FRB research from Dr. Manish Kaleb. Hello again, Manisha. Hello. Today, I'm really excited to be speaking again with an amazing researcher and astrophysicist, Dr. Manisha Kaleb. Manisha has used the world's most powerful instruments to unlock the secrets of some of the most powerful and puzzling objects in our known universe. Thanks for speaking with us again today, Manisha. Uh, it's an absolute pleasure to be here. I'm really excited for this interview. Oh, thank you. Okay. Now, just before we talk about your research, I'll do a short recap for our listeners of the interview you kindly did with us five years ago in 2017, just before you submitted your thesis for your PhD. You told us about growing up and early studies in the metropolitan city of Chennai in India, then you went over to London, where you did your master's degree, which included identifying neutron stars in X-ray wavelengths, which in turn led you on to a personal focus on radio pulsars. And then you told us about your move down to Australia to pursue your astrophysics PhD at Canberra's Australian National University, where you were introduced to the Malonglo radio telescope and you were also introduced to Professor Matthew Bales at Swinburne University. We've interviewed him in the past, and he worked with you as one of your PhD supervisors as you took a very deep dive and most productive research program into the phenomena of fast radio bursts. And your thesis, A Pursuit of Fast Radio Transients with the Utmost and Parkes Radio Telescopes, it was accepted, of course, and your doctorate was awarded not long after we did that first interview with you. Now, Utmost is a research program attached to the Malonglo Observatory Synthesis Telescope, situated not far from Canberra in Australia, which 
you help to refurbish and reconfigure. Then, straight after graduation with your doctorate, you took up a four-and-a-half-year postdoc at the University of Manchester in the UK. And I had a look, and this was your address at the University of Manchester. Manisha Kaleb, Jodrell Bank Centre for Astrophysics, Alan Turing Building, Manchester. What an amazing address. And surely you had an amazing time there, Manisha. We'll put our science hats on in a minute, but first, would you like to tell us some of your personal highlights for you up there in Manchester? Thanks for that introduction, Brendan. Manchester is a very lively city, and the University of Manchester, I think, is a great place to pursue radio astronomy. I was part of the Mia Trap project led by Professor Ben Stappers at the university. So this was a European Research Council funded program. And I got to work on data from the Meerkat radio telescope, which is a pathfinder to the square kilometer array of the SKA. Also, Manchester is not only home to Alan Turing, but also the Lovell telescope at the Jodrell Bank Observatory. Fantastic. Well, about Jodrell Bank and the Lovell Telescope, would you like to tell us about this magnificent instrument? Oh, I'd love to. So the Lovell Telescope was commissioned in, I think, 1957, and it played a very prominent role in Britain's observations of the Sputnik satellite. And in fact, the telescope was also involved in the discovery of many of the early pulsars, uh, the first gravitational lens, and the first millisecond pulsar in a globular cluster. Currently, the Lovell Telescope monitors pulsars and fast radio bursts. And during my time at the University of Manchester, we used to go down to the Lovell Telescope at the Jodrell Bank Observatory every Tuesday and spend the day there doing research. Cool. Fantastic. Okay. Now, I've recently looked at all your lead author and co-author and collaboration papers that you've published during your time at Manchester, and it's an amazing body of work. And you have used some incredibly powerful instruments from top observatories all over the world, and you've worked in some wonderful collaborations. I know we're really not allowed to have favourites, but would you like to tell us about perhaps one of your most memorable research projects that you worked on while you were up there at Jodrell Bank? So most of my work when I was in Manchester was with data from the Meerkat radio telescope in South Africa. Yep. Meerkat is an interferometer and it's currently the most sensitive radio telescope in the Southern Hemisphere. And this will eventually be integrated into the mid-frequency component of the square kilometer array or the SKA, which will go on to be the world's largest radio telescope in the coming years. I thoroughly enjoyed my research and working with the Mia Trap team on all my projects, but if I had to pick one, it would have to be the discovery of an ultra long period neutron star. Neutron stars are extremely dense remnants of supernova explosions, and most are born rapidly spinning and emit radiation from their magnetic poles, much like lighthouses. We call these neutron stars pulsars. Using the Mere Trap backend instrument, we discovered a very unusual radio emitting neutron star, which rotates every 76 seconds. Now, until then, the slowest known pulsar or neutron star was about 23 seconds. 
So the 76 second source is unique because it resides in what we call the neutron star graveyard. And we don't really expect the sources to pulsate or produce any emission when they reside in the neutron star graveyard. So we fondly refer to this source as zombie star. What's interesting is the source exhibits seven different pulse shapes. And this is truly remarkable because we haven't seen such a diversity in neutron stars before. The pulse itself is only on for about 300 milliseconds of the 76 second period. So it's on for about 0.5% of the time. So we were really lucky that the beam crossed the line of sight of the Earth. What's interesting is the source has certain characteristics of a pulsar, but it also has the characteristics of a magnetar. So the jury is still out there on what this object could possibly be. The magnetar scenario makes it particularly intriguing because theorists believe that ultra-long period magnetars could be the progenitors of the enigmatic Faust radio bursts. We're going to have to continue monitoring this object to see if it can produce bursts with FRB-like energies because FRBs are extragalactic and they have much higher energies than this galactic source, which is in our own galaxy and uh, has energies which are much lower. There's a very nice conversation article about this 76-second uh, period radio source. Fantastic. Look, I'll look that up and I'll provide the link to that. Yeah, what a fascinating bit of research. Fantastic. Now, you mentioned Meerkat being the most powerful radio telescope in the Southern Hemisphere, and we do know about your work working with the Malonglo Observatory Synthesis Telescope. What are your thoughts of the Canadian FRB research that's coming out of the CHIME telescope? Um, now, a few years ago, the ASCAP telescope here in Australia doubled the number of known FRBs, but even then, we only had about 50. CHIME in Canada has a massive field of view of about 250 square degrees, and this is about 1,200 times the size of a full moon. So this massive field of view is hugely beneficial for finding new FRBs and also monitoring known FRBs for repeat bursts simultaneously. The current published number from CHIME, I think, is about 550, but there are yet more to be revealed. Yep. Large numbers like this are great for population statistics, but in order to truly begin understanding the origins of FRBs, we need to pinpoint their localization upon discovery. And this is what telescopes or interferometers like ASCAP and Meerkat aim to do. But the planned upgrade for CHIME in the near future should be able to do this. And I think when it does come along, it's going to be a force to be reckoned with. Fantastic. And for listeners that want to follow up on some backstory on that, we have done interviews with Jane Kazimarek, who's working up there now, and also with Cherry Ng. Okay, so what about now? Just before we put our science hard hats on, and take a deeper look into FRB research. And before we look at what might be causing FRBs, can you give our new listeners a sort of primer or brief summary of what a FRB is and how they are detected? Absolutely. So fast radio bursts or FRBs are currently one of the biggest unsolved mysteries of modern day astrophysics. There are these bright radio flashes in the sky traveling towards us from halfway across the universe. 
they last about a few thousands of a second. And in this time, they emit as much energy as the sun would in an entire day. Uh, we estimate a few FRBs to go off every minute in the sky at random locations. So they're very easy to miss in the blink of an eye. And if you're not pointing at the right patch of sky, they're quite easy to miss too. They're mostly observed as one-off bursts, but some of them have been observed to repeat. And it's presently unclear whether all FRBs repeat. What makes them exciting though, is that they are cosmic messengers. So the signal from an FRB can be thought of to be a flashlight illuminating everything along the path. And as the signal bears the imprint of the material that it passes through, it is a gold mine of information about the cosmos. Yep. Now the human eye can only detect visible light, uh, which are basically the colors of the rainbow, but FRBs are seen only in radio light, which is beyond the red end of the visible light spectrum, so it's invisible to the human eye. We use radio telescopes to detect FRBs, and these show up as blips or little peaks in our data. The field has really exploded in the last couple of years, and we are currently in a worldwide race to figure out what these FRBs really are. Fantastic. Okay, that's a good starting point for our new listeners. So what about now? I see you've moved from the UK back to Australia, and soon you'll be lecturing physics at the University of Sydney. But in the meantime, you're leading a well-funded DECRA grant project to use fast radio bursts to investigate the nature of stars and matter outside our galaxy. Can you tell us about the scope of this project and who's working with you on it? And what's the timeline and what's your goals for this project? With FRBs, there are many unknowns, but the nature of the object producing the FRB, I think, is the biggest one. So my DECRA focuses on probing the immediate environments of the sources of FRBs and investigating whether this could tell us something more about their nature. So there are a lot of FRBs which have been pinpointed to very precise locations within interferometers like near Cat and ASCAP. And these are the FRBs that I'm going to be targeting, irrespective of whether they repeat or not. Now, we've seen a handful of FRBs to repeat, and a couple of the most prolific repeaters in particular appear to be embedded in extremely magnetic environments. And they also seem to be associated with radio emission that persists over month to year timescales. The goal of my DECRA is to investigate whether non-repeaters too have such environments and explore the possibility of a unified population of repeaters and non-repeaters. For example, repeaters may be extremely energetic young objects with high magnetic fields and embedded in, say, a supernova remnant. Non-repeaters, on the other hand, may be older, less energetic, the magnetic field may have decayed, and the supernova remnant might have dissipated. Basically, repeaters and non-repeaters may just be different evolutionary stages of the same object. So we only have small number of statistics at the moment, so deeper investigation is warranted uh, to investigate this possibility. My DECRA is for three years, and I'm primarily working with Adam Deller and Matthew Bales at Swinburne University. Fantastic. Okay. Well, when we were talking about FRBs five years ago, a lot's happened since then. Localization was just a dream then, and we had no optical counterpart. But 
Now we have host galaxies and we've got multi-messenger identification. And back then, I think we had about 50 hypotheses about the possible origins of FRBs, most of them cataclysmic. And since then, the field has been narrowed down a bit. And now that dozens of repeating FRBs have been discovered, is there an emerging consensus about what the origins of FRBs could be? It really is amazing how radically the field has progressed in five years. And like you said, over 50 progenitor model theories have been proposed for FRBs, and they range from flaring magnetars and the destruction of highly magnetized white dwarfs to more exotic ones involving interactions between axion stars and black holes. Magnetars, which are a type of neutron star characterized by powerful magnetic fields, have always been a favorite right from the initial stages of the field. Yep. And in fact, the recent discovery of an FRB-like pulse from a magnetar in our own galaxy adds credence to this theory. Currently, I think the jury is still out there on what uh, the progenitors of FRBs could be. But I think the objects that can most elegantly account for all the observables are neutron stars, and this is what most astronomers are leading towards. Thank you. Uh, it must be fantastic to be right there in the middle of one of the greatest scientific mysteries and watching it unfold. Now, you've hinted at this. Right now, we're at the end of 2022, and what's the most exciting or puzzling bit of FRB work that's happening right now? When I started my PhD, simply finding an FRB was amazing, but I think long gone are the days when finding an FRB was exciting. We've now reached a point where radical changes happen on timescales of just a few weeks. The better we can characterize the radio bursts and any possible associated multivalent emission, the better our chances are of identifying the underlying emission mechanism and really beginning to understand the progenitor and the nature of the object producing these FRBs. The full potential of FRBs will only be realized in the era of routine FRB detections and corresponding host galaxy identifications and associations, which I don't think we're too far from now, actually. The future of FRBs lies in using them as probes of the extragalactic universe in complementary ways to, say, galaxies and even supernovae. Though FRBs started off as primarily radio astronomy, they seem to have formed a bridge across all astronomy, right from high-energy astrophysics to stellar astronomy to even cosmology. And in fact, an excellent example of this was solving the missing baryon problem using FRBs discovered with the ASCAP telescope. Yep. We know that the universe is made up of about 90% dark matter and dark energy, and only 5% is baryonic matter or normal atoms. Intriguingly, a census of the stars, galaxy, and the gas within and around them only accounted for half of this 5%. The remaining matter was out there, hiding somewhere. Computer simulations predicted that the majority of the missing matter was hiding in the warm, hot intergalactic medium. But at that time, there was no real way to confirm its existence. And this is where FRBs came in. So when radio waves passed through matter, the longer wavelengths are briefly slowed down compared to the shorter ones upon interaction with this matter. And by measuring the spread of the different wavelengths within one FRB, 
we can calculate exactly how much matter and consequently how many baryons the radio wave has passed through on their way from the source producing the FRB to the Earth. Yep. By using a handful of FRBs, the ASCAP team and astronomers uh, using the ASCAP telescope were able to make a rough calculation of how much matter the radio waves passed through before reaching the Earth. And would you believe it, it was consistent with what was missing. So astronomers now have proof that the warm hot intergalactic medium exists and have confirmed how much there is, but we don't quite exactly know how this is distributed in the universe. And this is something for the future with more FRBs and more host galaxy associations. Fantastic and great news for those researching the cosmic web and cosmology. What a great resource the FRBs are turning out to be. Okay. Look, now might be a good time to ask how the current worldwide COVID-19 crisis has impacted on your research. You were over in Manchester for the initial COVID outbreak, probably thinking of your family back home. And the first two years of the pandemic, you were over there as well. What are your personal and professional reflections on COVID-19? I think when the pandemic first started, we didn't really take it too seriously. And even when the university shut down initially, we expected to go back to work in a few weeks. So staying home for months on end was not something I was mentally prepared for. On the work front, it was business as usual because all I needed was internet and a laptop to get work done. It was quite isolating though, as almost everything was on Zoom and in-person interactions were almost close to zero. I quite missed the impromptu coffee breaks and random chats in the corridor. It was also a bit of a struggle to separate my work from my personal life. Personally, I think I got more work done during this period, uh, and I was also able to give more talks as everything was online, so you could accommodate for different time zones, but it did come at a price. On the bright side, COVID has shown us that flexible working is possible, and most people work from home two to three days a week now. Yep. Okay. You've also done a lot of outreach work as an early career astronomer, and in this next phase of your career, is outreach still important? Do you still involve yourself with outreach? What's next for you? A lot of people think science is difficult and outreach kind of helps overcome that notion. It helps communicate a scientific concept in a way that's both accessible and entertaining to the public while painlessly increasing their science knowledge. I strongly believe that it also encourages and inspires future generation of scientists I do try and involve myself with as much outreach as possible. Uh, one of my favorites is the Blue Dot Festival, which is a science and music festival that happens every year at the Jodrell Bank Observatory uh, in Manchester in the UK. My most recent one was uh, the press release we did for the 72nd period Neutron Star. And hopefully there'll be plenty more on Fast Radio Buzz in the near future. Fantastic. Okay. Now, five years ago, I asked you this very same question. And back then, you clarified the problem that we have with the lack of women at all levels in science. So the mic is all yours again, Manisha, and you have the opportunity to give us your current favourite rant or rave about one of the greatest challenges that we face in science. The microphone's all yours. 
Funnily enough, five years ago when I did this interview, I was a PhD student and now I'm faculty at the University of Sydney. So several universities are making conscious efforts to represent diversity and gender equality in more senior positions. I recently gave a talk to early career researchers and the discussion that followed really highlighted the lack of mentors for early career researchers. I think that good mentors and career guidance is definitely something that is very important to early career researchers, irrespective of whether they decide to stay in academia or not. I consider myself very lucky in that aspect that I had amazing PhD supervisors and my line manager at the University of Manchester was a brilliant mentor who was very supportive of my career growth. I aspire to be that to my students in the future. Fantastic. And yeah, you're lucky students. Thank you. Now, just before we close off, is there anything else we should watch out for in the near future? What are you keeping your eye on? I'm going to say fast radio bursts and ultra long period neutron stars. There's just so much going on in the field at the moment that it really is a roller coaster ride. With FRBs, we're finding ones that are further and further away, giving us insight into the tapestry of the early universe. Ultra-long period neutron stars are an emerging field, and we're currently where we were with FRBs in the initial stages, I think. There are theoretical links between FRBs and ultra-long period neutron stars, but the observational evidence is what is lacking at the moment. This potential link between ultra-long period neutron stars being a possible progenitor of FRBs is something that really excites me and something that I'm keeping my eye out for. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Manisha Kaleb. I've been sitting here with a smile on my face for over half an hour now. On behalf of all of our listeners, and especially from me, It's been really fabulous to be speaking with you again, and you're an inspiration, and and I hope I get the chance to meet you in real life one day, but thank you especially for your time and your amazing schedule, and good luck with your research projects, and I'm sure when you're lecturing your students up there in Sydney, they will enjoy the experience as much as you, and good luck with all your next adventures. Thank you, Manisha. Thank you, Brendan. Bye. As promised, a nice summary of Manisha's neutron star research can be found at tinyearl.com forward slash neutron76. Or for those who want to read the whole research paper, it's on the Manchester University portal at tinyearl.com forward slash neutron76pdf. That's neutron76pdf, all one word. It's also available for those with access to nature astronomy via their institution. And remember, Astrophys is free and ad-free, and for observers who like the print version, Dr Ian Musgrave's Astroblog and Southern Skywatch websites are always there to let you know what to look up for in the coming weeks. So that's it from us at Astrophys for 2022. I hope you had a great year with us and we'll be back again in 2023 after our traditionally long Australian summer break. But with luck, I'll be able to post some observation tips during our holidays. Who knows? Till next time. It's a big sky up there. Keep looking up. See you then.
Radio Wave.